Well, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. I want to start out with a little game. It's one of those clues, you know, ideas. So, you know, you're given the quizzer list descriptions of something. You guess what it is. Obviously, you get more as you go, so you'll probably have a better chance of getting it. If you wait, here we go. Person, place, or thing. Place. It has some physics. Like, would you stop? <laughs> Grief. People have no patience at all. Like, clues are coming. Okay, so, all right. Physically impressive. They have a stadium and... Fabulous structures in this place. It must be a place where the political parties on a federal level think it must be important because they spend a lot of resources here. What are you thinking? A military base or like the caucus season coming on? Clue number three is they have an ambitious engineering project that's underway constructing a major connection involving a spance of water that the commerce of many states depend on that waterway. Hundreds of thousands of workers flood into the metro area Competition for business is stiff here. Some partake in a luxurious lifestyle. They have drama theaters. All right, okay, you know, about any given night in the winter, you know, you could probably find a place to go. The people here play a lot. Sports is a big thing. You want to go where the crowds are, go to the games. They're carefree people. They enjoy a smorgasbord of pleasures to eat and to entertain themselves. Uh, but not all is well with that. Plenty of sexual temptations are in this place. A lot of people get drunk, and uh, far too often, a lot of immature people live here, but I don't think they're slackers, they're opportunistic people, and there's a trade city mentality, there is a major employer based in this place, money all over the world flows into it, they enjoy a strong economy, but there's also social injustice that minorities and those less well-off experience, and if you agree with the preacher's assessment, I'd say that values and priorities of the citizens are largely not what they should be. Okay, can you guess the place? All right, what am I referring to? It's Corinth, right, yes, Corinth. Did you look at this? It is ancient Corinth. What did you think I was referring to? Yeah, 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 okay, I'm messing with you. But that's what I found out when I was studying about this place. I was seeing the connection. Do you think that a letter written to the people there might have something to say to us? Oh, highly relevant. So I want you to take your Bible text and turn to 1 Corinthians. That little numeral helps. I know sometimes we preach through Joshua and Mark, so you turn to Joshua, people are like looking for Joshua in the church. You know, I mean, This is a Bible book, you know that. We're going to be in this thing for two months, all the way to Easter, April 12th, my birthday, don't forget the gifts, and read through this thing as we prepare and get ready. Now the aerial shot above shows uh, the significance, kind of a strategic spot uh, because Corinth was positioned uh, right there. People traveled in and out. There's a narrow isthmus that uh, connected the two main bodies of water, the Adriatic and the Aegean Sea. And so with many coming through that place, you could see why it would be that Jesus would want, you know, Paul to plant a church there. Pretty important. Uh, you can see that many diverse peoples came through there. So the gifts of speaking in tongues would have been widely used. <laughs> and Paul had that gift. From Acts 18 and then from things said in this letter, we know that while he's there, he supports himself by making tents. And then he's there for like 18 months teaching about Jesus. Now, shortly after he leaves, he hears of problems that the church is having and so he writes a letter we don't apparently have, but we do get this that's written probably about four years later, and it's upon receiving a report from closed people. So I want to get us to the text, but why don't we just uh, pray first. Father, we ask that you open up your word to us today. God, we, we welcome you. I know 
coming here with some stuff and we need you to deal with that with us. And Lord, we just, we, we just open up our hearts to you. And thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. So you got uh, chapter one there. It starts out, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now I want you to notice, just going to list them in the next few verses, what these people have, what's true of them. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus, verse 2. Called saints, together with you know, all the people call upon the Lord. I give thanks for you because of the grace of God that has been given you. In every way you're enriched in him, verse 5. You are not lacking in any gift, verse 7. Christ Jesus will sustain you to the end, guiltless. The guiltless is what they're called. God is faithful. You were called into the fellowship of his son, verse 9. Man, these are impressive, amazing things that are said about the people here, what they have going for them. Don't let that strike you as strange because the same things are true about you. If you belong to Jesus, he has put you into his church. Then these are the very things that you have, and it's my hope and prayer this morning that you'll get a good look at who you are in Jesus and then what it is you do and see how those line up. Because clearly what the Corinthians had is who they are displayed here shows, wow. I mean, it's like the promises of God and his grace has just flowed. He is like packed these people full of amazing things that they have now to serve him with. They have a lot going for them so they can be a shining light for Jesus in their society. And we've been encouraging you, start your day that way. Thinking about God, having these things, what is true about you in your life, and it'll change the way that you live. Now, the reason I started with the clue game, though, is to give you an idea of what living in Corinth really like. Because you might think, like, oh, it'd be so cool to be in that trade center of the Roman Empire. But they did not have a good reputation. I mean, generally speaking, they actually, outsiders, made up a name when they referred to something that was not good. They would call it to Corinthianize or to live like a Corinthian. In other words, to think about someone being loose, morally speaking, civilly. I don't know if that's a word, but it's like not having good manners. That's the label they put the place on that. Because see, what they did was not good. And this is the Christian's. Because you're going to reveal when you kind of go through this book and you're going to find out all the stuff that's really true of them. It's like it doesn't line up at all, it seems like, with who they are and then how they actually acted in their behavior and the way that they were. It's almost like the Christians in the church there were more like their neighbors or their, their worldly friends than they were like the people of Jesus Christ. So this whole book is just reveals the kinds of problems that went on there. You're going to think like, like immorality and lawsuits are going on. There's arguments over eating food that had been sacrificed at the temple, a place where prostitution was very widespread. That the people are fighting and over, you know, you know what to wear to church. <laughs> and that there's, you know, screwy ideas going about some basic hopes. And then like, people are in the worship services and men and women are all out of order, jumping up and down, speaking out of turn. Their lack of generosity when it comes to offerings. But the primary problem starts right out here in chapter 1. Division. The people are bickering. They are quarreling. They are creating cliques and factions, you know, aligning under some leaders and pitting themselves against others. Look what it says, verse 10. 
Paul just lays out the problem saying, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The same, I mean, good grief, that is one thing we learned this week again by how divided our society is. I mean, what in the world is going on? Capitol Hill and the White House. Where you have, in, you can see it in the picture, the State of Union Address. Where you have this portrayed arrogance and then you see this child behavior and you just see this polarization of just not getting along, not being even civil, not even acting decent. And it's just splitting. It's like a, it's like a, diagnosis of our country, just how divided people are. And so Paul confronts this problem head on by saying, you're divided. You know the reason why there's such serious polarization, division, why people don't get along? It comes from pride. Everyone thinks they're right. They know better, so they denigrate other perspectives. They're so full of themselves, they can't even act civil when they disagree. And in these opening chapters, you're going to keep seeing this phrase about the wisdom of the world and of the age and of the debaters, what people are buying into and thinking they're all that. And despite everything that these believers have going for them, they were not wise or powerful or special before God got a hold of them. And we can fall into the same trap. Because we just have this human nature that wants to feed its own self-importance. But the truth is that like them, we are weak and lowly and we are not as smart and strong as we think. You know, church folks of all people ought to know better that anyone, no one really, has a right to brag. I mean, the only boasting should be done is boasting the Lord, right? That's verse 31. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? Even when you are picking out the errors of someone else. You're making blunders in the process. Sometime back, I realized, I wrote an email to a company uh, sometime back, and man, I, I, was, I was just perturbed with them. They'd messed up some data several times, and so I was trying to show their inaccuracies, and I found out later when I read my email after I'd sent it off that I had misspellings and confusing statements in the very, in the very email. I'm sending them to pull, point out their problems. I, I mean, we are just faulty, flawed, mistake-prone people. We all are, and we ought to learn from that. So here's a note to self. Be a problem solver, not a problem creator, not a problem noticer. When people act childish or arrogant, I guess that's to be expected of how everyone tends to act, but we're supposed to be different. As he says, you're divided, but here we go, but you're supposed to be on the same team. My uh, first pastorate was down the southwestern tip of Missouri, and uh, on visitation, sometimes I'd go across the Oklahoma line. One night, I was out with uh, one of the other church leaders, and he said, hey, I'm going to show you kind of the underbelly of the area, and uh, take me to a place that he says kind of operates off the radar of county officials. And uh, he says, it's an illegal operation run by illegals. I'm just like, what are we talking about, like moonshining or like white, you know, militia? Or what is this? What's he getting me into? Man, we go off-roading. We go down these dirt paths and deep into the woods. And then I saw them, cages. Oh. It was that gambling that the animal rights people would not like because 
they were Gamecocks. And man, those guys, they had an operational. These were no, this one two-bit business. These guys traveled to the matches. And I remember the man who had some fighting cocks. And yeah, they had some of the best. Man, people won a lot of money off them. And when he arrived at a place, he had gone back behind, opened up his truck. And to his shock and horror, there were feathers and blood everywhere. Somehow one of the barriers in the cage had come undone. And those fighting cocks did the very thing that had been bred in them from the time they were born. And they attacked each other. Oh, the man was in anguish. No, 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 he said. If only you knew you were on the same team. <laughs> and I thought about Jesus. All through church history, watching how he must feel the very same way, looking at his people. Says, don't you know who you are? Because he's watched his very people make just a mess of things. When they just give in to their base human attitudes, where they just take their cues from the way everyone else treats each other in the world, and they turn on each other. And that's what's going on. And it's a travesty every time it happens. Because, yeah, we would expect it in politics and government and even the workplace, but not, not at church, not, not among Christians. They know better, don't they? And yet here it is. And I got thinking about, well, does this apply? Because it seemed like kind of a hard message for us to kind of look at some of this stuff in 1 Corinthians. And I kind of kept digging about how is that true of us? You know, what you call the word as uh, homogenous, like homogenized milk, you know, that, that process, it means the idea of making something the same. And the fact is, human nature just wants to be with its own like-minded group and not with other groups. So you might say it's almost natural if we just live that way and we don't want to mix with others. The Roman Caesario, he said there's two classes of people. He says there's the civilized and the barbarians, which were the slaves. So you know what that does? That creates a looking down mentality. And the Jews are no better. In fact, their rabbi's typical prayer went like this. Thank, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Are we divided? Are there ways in which we don't group up? You're not going to think about our church. You know, we, we mostly represent one race, for the most part, at Bentendorf Christian. And yet, a few times, we're, we're able to have... Others that come in of color, you think like, yeah, we should be colorblind. No, not colorblind, color blessed. Because <laughs> that's what it's like for God. You know the kingdom of God is multi-ethnic. Wouldn't it be great? Could you dream with me of a BCC in the future in which that is on full display and this is one big group? See, that homogenous way where you just get with your own like group is what can lead to and just multiply division. My son gave uh, his wife uh, uh, Ancestry.com test for Christmas. You ever take one of those? Some people who do, they've, they've been surprised to find out what? That you might have some genetic traces to a different race or maybe a mix of them. And you would not chop that out of your body when you found something's foreign in there. <laughs> and before we get done with this book, we should all realize his church is his body. And we're not about to cut something else or act like it's not a part of this because it is. So these things ought to help us. I mean, we have to accept each other. 
you have to accept me. Ugly <laughs> and weird. Hey, don't moan. Look what I have to do. Accept you. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I believe God's list is always larger than ours, don't you think? <laughs> he is like welcoming a whole bunch of people. They were like, oh, okay. We've got to get a different view of what this is, this team that he put us on. Not just tolerate others. We're supposed to prefer them. It really should look like we like each other, right? <laughs> to the waiting eyes of the world. But you say like, hey, Tim, but isn't there, there should be a reason why we're separated and not like other people. We, yeah, when it has to do with like holiness and being sanctified according to the way. What I'm talking about is when we make divisions that God doesn't make. So here's the second thing that comes up because I think that we have different levels and interests and stuff in being spiritual. So Paul's also trying to point out, you're trying to be spiritual. And people do this all the time. In fact, it seems like it's almost like a fad in our society where someone's going to like, oh, you come to a spiritual awakening and the celebrities and they'll post it all over document on you know, social media. And people get into this and there's like spiritually connected herbs and oils and advice that you can get. And I mean businesses, they'll even hire some of these like spiritual gurus to lead their people into this stuff, you know, hoping to get more productivity out of them. There was one that I was reading about where these folks, they paid like thousands of dollars, went off to Arizona, and this mystical guru led them on like a 36-day fast through the desert. And then they meditated in a sweat lodge. You know what came of that spiritual experience? 21 of the people were hospitalized and three of them died. Okay, we're talking about being spiritual, and there is a spiritual dimension that we are not whole unless we get into it. But the born-again experience is something that God does to a person. You can't seek it out and find it. It's a different kind of spiritual that's turned away the other way around where God reveals and God works from heaven. So I want to lead you a few little scriptures that show that. And look at chapter 7. Turn over there. The culture like Corinth had this false sense of spirituality, not what Jesus intends for his church. And so here's the idea where Paul the Apostle writes, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And if you keep reading, you find out that wisdom has to do with the crucified Lord of glory, which God revealed to us. And that's real important to look at the us language. It's like, who's he talking about? Like us, us? Like I got some special thing going on? No, the apostles are the ones that Jesus said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. He's going to lead you in all the truth. And so they wrote things like this scripture. That's what we now have to know. This comes as a rule of faith and practice from us, from God to them. So God's spirit's leading them. And they said, that's what we're doing. It's like we're putting spiritual words and things together with spiritual expressions, all led by God's spirit. And it says, and the natural person doesn't get it. Well, of course they don't, because to do that, they don't understand it because they don't get into this, the very thing that they revealed. The mind of the Lord comes to us via this scripture that was written for us. And so he finishes up in that phrase saying, but we have the mind of Christ, claims the apostle. If you're searching for spirituality, deeper wisdom, got it right here. <laughs> Look no further. Because the Lord has revealed for us everything. And if you're immature and spiritual growth, it doesn't come except through this closeness with Jesus Christ as we get into his word for us. And you know, if we act more like children, there's a word for it in the next chapter that says psychikos, which is being fleshly or carnal. And it's just being like childish instead of grown-up Christian. So really, we could finish Paul's thought saying, you're trying to be spiritual, but it is the mature Christian who is truly spiritual. 
Why? Well, the person's learned. They've learned to surrender his or her will to God. They've allowed the Spirit's thoughts to tell them how to live. So here's a question, right? Are you spiritual? (laughs) You get your counsel from where? Is that coming from your buddies or whatever out there? Or does it come from here? When the book says, stop acting like everyone else, do you? I mean, here's a few examples. It's like almost everyone uses their money for themselves, but not the mature Christian. They view money differently, and they're givers. Many act like it's their body, and they can do with it whatever they please. Not the mature Christian. They don't view their body as their own. And instead, they're exercising self-control, being led by the Spirit. They're generous where others are mean. They're understanding, not headstrong. Most people seek glory for themselves. You know what the mature Christian does? They glory in the cross. Oh, we cannot miss that. That comes laid out in that first chapter, like down at verse 18, where it says the word of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, because you know they seek after uh, signs, and it's folly to the Gentiles who seek wisdom. Um, Crucifixion was not just gruesome. It was an utterly offensive and obscene way to die. Can you go out there for a minute and you picture the cross, a crucifixion? Culture, people in Greco-Roman society didn't even use the word cross in public discourse because it conjured up such horrible images. It was never a private event. You know, crucifixion was meant to be in public view. They would line crosses up as you entered into cities to make it very clear to others the penalty for not submitting to the authorities. People would see those broken, writhing bodies up on those crosses or maybe a decaying corpse hanging up there, the condemned. Murders, robbers, traitors, insurrectionists, slaves. You know, we rarely read about crucifixion from the ancient histories, but then... Why would you expect that? Who would want to write about something like that? It was a government-sanctioned way for some executioners to give them an opportunity to just live out their most sadistic, brutally inventive fantasies. The details of a crucifixion were atrocious. A man's shredded flesh pressed against unforgiving wood. Iron stakes pounded through his bone, nerves, Joints would be wrenched out of socket by the dead weight of the body as it hung. Stripped of all dignity. Because you know they were naked. The Greeks called it staros. A loathsome thing. Parents would hide the eyes of their children, obviously, from that demonstration. The vile criminal, criminal hung on that cross. Putrid, decaying warning to anyone else who even thought about committing a crime against the empire. Paul refers to it in here as the offense, and he ought to know because he has 20 years' experience of telling the message of the cross and watching everyone's reactions. It was deeply obscene and it was completely ridiculous. No wonder it was a a stumbling block to the Jews. Pagan philosophers, they used to 
berate the Christians for putting their faith in a man that was crucified. Seriously? You worship a man and call him a god that died like that? So they made sketches in stone. It was kind of like their cartoons of the day, just like publications used now to ridicule. Let's put up a picture. They found this. Early Christianity, what you have is there's a man and he's bowing down before one who's crucified that's depicted with a donkey's head, obviously a Christian. And there's a caption that says, Alexmenos worships his God. It almost makes me think, maybe he's wondering if worshiping Jesus is worth it, considering what a fool he looks like to everyone. Paul and the early Christians faced that kind of ridicule and bad-mouthing all the time. Don't you think it would have been a lot easier if they just would have kept that part out? I mean, wouldn't it be better to just have, a, have the resurrection thing? Just talk about life. Don't talk about dead things. What do you think? We should bring up positives only? Let's talk about things that are happy and fun, not a star off. Sure make Christianity a lot less dangerous because you know most Christians who are persecuted in the world, they do so based on not denying a crucified Lord. Should we do that? Clean it up so it's not so messy and bloody and make it less disgusting, less ridiculous? Well, I'm glad nobody's saying amen. No way. Paul actually goes on the next chapter too. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus is tacked up on a staros, left to die. And no doubt that turned those first century people off, but the apostle continues to make it the center of his gospel. Good news, because without it, you're going to cut out the heart of the Christian faith. That's why Jesus died. To take the sins of the world, and it had to be, in its all gruesome, horrible, obscene way that no one would ever forget, publicly demonstrating. But you know what God was using it for? That Staros was a public demonstration of his love for all. And you do that, don't you? You dwell on the cross, and you realize God's love for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. It speaks. You know the other thing about Jesus? The star Ross, you can't fake it. Everything shows. Man, people are so prone to wear a mask and not show the stuff, the mess. And Jesus doesn't do that at all. Yeah, people, they, they make all kinds of insincere gestures, I think, of concern. You know, they don't get credit for caring. But you can see right through it when you see, like, you know what? It's not really costing them anything to just say that, just talk. Where are they really sacred? Where are they like putting themselves out there? God stands out because he does not hold back. 
he gives his own precious son. He's bloodied and bruised and he's broken on that cross. Man, the gods of the ancients, they would never let their brokenness show like that. <laughs> no, they wore a mask of strength, but Jesus is different. He wears no mask. He hangs there with no clothing on. You know, they ripped it off. They gambled over his garment, remember? He bears all to the mocking world. And now we're called to be different like him. And when we speak the message, we better approach it like Paul. As he goes on, he says that he did so in weakness, fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, verse 4, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he says later on in 420 that God's kingdom does not come with talk. It doesn't consist in it. It consists in power. So a Christian doesn't just talk about love or care. They actually demonstrate it in cross-like ways. And so it really brings into play something that came from earlier on when it says that we are being saved by it, the cross. It is the power of God, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. So I just want to do an activity. Close your eyes because I want you to visualize right now Jesus on the cross. We haven't taken Lord's Supper yet, so maybe this will help you get ready. I want to ask you about your picture. Is it clean? All sanitized, rated G? How could it be? <laughs> When you consider that he is bearing the ugly sins of the entire world. The atheist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre wrote about the moment that God found Adam and Eve hiding. And he said the naked body symbolized brute objectivity. The moment when we realize who we really, really are, we'll do anything to hide ourselves from it. Man, we have done that. Hidden. The masks are on. Who gets to see your true selves? That's not like Jesus. We come week after week. We visualize that star off in our mind's eye. And then we walk away and hide ourselves. That cross reveals the vulnerable, naked God who says to us, take up your cross and follow me. So I think that we should repent, not keep doing things the way everyone else does. And if we do that, I think that we're going to get ready for God. So everybody looking up, because I got a question. It's rather a big question. And boy, you take this one and just think about how every area of your life, here we go. Do you do what you do according to what you are or according to what they do. So now we're lined up. What you end up doing is it according to what you are in Jesus Christ or does it look like pretty much the way everybody else does things? Because the surrounding culture, our fellow citizens in the Quad City, they're not very good at doing vulnerable. There's sometimes I get discouraged with the way that we sometimes hear our Bettdorf Christian. And I think it has to do with this. People just not willing to open up and let, let those masks come off. 
Tyler Curtis one time trained a number of people that kind of were lay counselors and basically they just did a really good job listening to people as they brought their struggles. And you know what? Very few people avail themselves of that opportunity. There are many marriages in this church that need a shot in the arm. Maybe they really need a lot of help and yet they won't come Saturday. They won't seek out our marriage mentoring. They can be linked up with a mature Christian couple to help them through some things. There are believers who have not overcome their problems with drink or sex or forgiveness, you, you name it. And it's due to their, their unwillingness to just be vulnerable. Open up. Vulnerable is the God who died for them. Now, I'm not saying you have to like parade it all out there in public view. But would you after the service... Just say, man, I got, I got to get this out. Seek out one of these truly spiritual brothers or sisters. Tell them what's really going on. I know people call that weakness. But weakness to men is the very power of God. Because you get going with that. And finally, something changes in you. And it gets you off of whatever you're stuck on. And finally, God's power can start to work. Kind of an example I had was, I was working in a ministry. I had a senior ministry. who's real tough talking, hellfire and brimstone-like. And one day I was sharing with him. And it was, I was just struggling because of someone else had fallen into sin. Someone I, was, I knew well. And I thought he was going to go off on him and me because I was related to him. And he didn't. Instead, of me, he, just, he just quieted down. He just softly started admit, saying, I worry about myself, that I would fall into the same things. And how prone that we are, that we, any of us could do that. Oh, that helped me. It's like it, it somehow empowered me now by God to do it differently with my burden going on because of that humility and that grace to just open up and not be all holy and righteous in an odd way that no one can relate to. What do you say? See, all those things that create divisions and problems, you see how this works the other way? Man, if the Corinthian Christians had a tenth of Paul's spirit, I don't think they'd have near the problems that they had. What's the motto everyone else says? Never let them see you sweat. Yeah, you go by that motto, you're not going to be vulnerable like Jesus. <laughs> and the very reason why he has called us now is to turn us into one like himself. The cross should mark us. Humility should be what's true about us instead of pride. A, a graciousness instead of a meanness that creates that polarization. A willingness to suffer ridicule rather than dish it out. Are we trying to be popular with people? Fit in with the group? Are we content to fit in with Jesus and just, just be people of God? You know, we want to dwell on just the parts of God that we like, but the Spirit of God will not let us do that. <laughs> he, uh, he makes sure that we get a hold of the parts that we don't like too. And I hope you'll bear with me as we work through this book, because talk is cheap. Spirituality is worthless if we are not different than others. It's not possible to have the mind of Christ 
while living worldly. And I'm all for positivity. I want to focus on life, not death. But in God's kingdom, you cannot fully embrace the resurrection if you don't fully embrace the cross. So would you prepare yourselves as we get ready? And maybe if you could just dream with me for a minute, because I don't know what that means in your own life, but dream with us as a church. Could you picture a different day in which in this church, Republicans love Democrats and vice versa. Men respect the women and they're respectable and vice versa. Even the kids can call out adults who are acting selfish and opinionated. Where the weird ones are accepted by the cool ones. (laughs) And on and on. If we're like that, this community is going to notice. And we're going to be able to be a light for Jesus. They say, you know, I don't think I know him very well. And they're going to come. And you're going to see us bowing down of a star ross because of what it means. The one who died on it says, take up your cross and follow me. Let's uh, pray. Lord, I pray that you save every person in this room. We need you to touch every heart. Oh God, we need you to be at the center of our lives and our church. Your spirit unites us, Lord. Keep us working with him. Help us act like it. Lord, we want to know you better and have you, your mind rule us. And if we hate anything, just let it be the things that you hate. Lord, forgive us for however we cause divisions and hurt the body of Christ. And Lord, may your serving attitude and your compassion, your truth be in us. Forgive us for when we neglect the cross or we're ashamed of it because we need the power that comes with it. Remind us of who we were without you and who we are with you. All in the name of Jesus. Everybody say.